Secure Financial Advisors, a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full informed investment decision. This is your money, your wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMV. Now, here's Joe Anderson and Big Al Clopine. It's a little bit after the hour. Good morning. Happy Memorial Day weekend, everyone. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Uh, my name's Joe Anderson. I'm a certified financial planner with Alan Clopine. He is a CPA. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, first time listening to the show. We're here for a few hours talking about finances, your retirement, investments, taxes, uh, you name it. In regards to personal finance, uh, we try to cover it on this show. Uh, if you want to listen to us on our podcast, you can go to iTunes and go to Your Money, Your Wealth, or you can always go to our website at purefinancial.com. Happy Memorial Day weekend, Big Al. Uh, same to you. You've got, uh, what, some family in town to celebrate, I think. Oh, yeah. Cousin. Cousin. Cousin nice. from Tucson. Good for you. Oh, it's going to be great. Yeah, and right after this show, I'm heading out to Colorado. Colorado. With Ryan. Uh, he graduated from Boulder in December, and he may want to move back to, to Colorado, maybe Denver. So we're going to check it out. Rocky Mountain High? That's it. Little John Denver. Yes, very good. Yeah. Yeah. You know your stuff. I do. Even though do. you're a young guy. I do know my John Denver. <laughs> anyway, Memorial Day. It's the day we honor men and women of, of our armed services who died while serving our great country. And, uh, but we actually honor everyone, Joe, those that have made the ultimate sacrifice, our veterans, and those who are currently serving. And we certainly thank you. Yes. Um, you know, being here in San Diego is where we're based out of, but uh, we have offices all over Southern California. Um, and it's, it's pretty special to live here in San Diego. Um, one of my best buddies is in the Navy. Um, so it's, I always hear of the interesting stories. Sure. And um, yeah, it's uh, we, we definitely thank everyone uh, for serving today, and that have uh, of course uh, you know made the ultra, ultimate uh, sacrifice. Yes, so. yeah, and it's uh, it's for their sacrifice, Joe, that you and I are sitting here today. That is correct, uh, my freedom friend. Freedom of speech and other freedoms that we possess in the United States. So again, thank you for your service. Talk about freedom for having a couple of clowns like us <laughs> on the radio for Maybe. the last ten years. Yeah, that is. Uh, I don't know. They keep bringing us back. Well, the reason. door's not locked, so. Yeah. <laughs> Remember that one time our, our key card didn't work? Yeah. We, we thought, thought we were done. We did. It's <laughs> over. Yeah, we got this live show, and we both Joe and I show up, and our our cards don't work in the lot where we record. And it's like, oh, maybe they are <laughs> maybe telling they, us maybe, we've been cut. <laughs> maybe they pulled the plug on us. <laughs> uh, well, today, um, what we want to get into is talking about retirement, there's some things that you can't control. There's some things that you cannot control. Um, so we can discuss that because I think a lot of the focus, unfortunately, um, are things that we can control. I mean, that you know, that we think that we can't control, but and, we have zero cannot. control over. That's true. I would agree with you. Yeah. I wish I could control the markets. Yeah. Or, I, or I think I can. Sure. Just if I buy the right stock or exactly. investment, I'm certainly I, I'm certainly know more than anybody else. You know, it's funny because I was listening to this behavioral finance professor, and um, he does a, a couple of different um, exercises with his class, and well, because as humans, it's our it's our human nature to try to predict the future. Sure. And he says the smarter the people are, the more educated the people are, the worse it is. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Because, all right, I've been through some life experience. I was able to conquer, you know, some different things in life. And so, all right, well, here, I know probably what's going to happen in the future here. Um, So we convince ourselves that we do know what's going to happen. uh, But unfortunately, no one has that crystal ball. Right. And it's challenging when it comes to our investing. It is. And, you know, one of the you see this from time to time. You see a young person that that makes an investment, buys a stock or and, and it does really well. Okay, great. That's a good start on your investing career. But then they start to get overconfident about, well, I must be a really good stock picker. And then, of course, lo and behold, at some point, they pick one that does very poorly. And it's, uh, you know, and, and, and our they attribute mo- that to bad luck. Yeah, of course. Not I'm, necessarily not right. skillful. If it, if it goes up, I'm skillful. If it went down, well, that was just bad luck. And, right. and But uh, our emotions do kind of get in the way when it comes to investing because we know from clinical studies that the emotion of fear is twice as great as the, the emotion of elation or joy. In other words, we're twice as fearful as we are on the happy, on the joyful side. So yeah, we're, we're twice as fearful to lose a dollar than we are to gain. Yeah, and that's the point, right? And so how that kind of messes us up a little bit is uh, we tend to sell our positions when they go down because we're fearful. And what you're doing in that case is you're selling a, an investment when it's not done well, when the market is down. And then we buy back in when things look pretty good after the market's gone up for a while. Or even, I guess, to continue with that thought process is that people try to find their holy grail of investment, right? So they feel, they do the research, and they'll say, all right, I think this is going to be a really good investment. And then they find out that they might have bought in at the wrong time, and then all of a sudden the investment starts going the other direction, what they want it to go. So they sell it and they buy something different. And that, even though the markets might be up, their particular investment is not doing what they anticipated that they wanted to do. Sure. Right? So they keep on getting in and out of different investments, not just getting out of the market because I'm fearful because I want to go into cash. Because I think on the greed side there as well is that you're anticipating a certain target rate of return. Well, maybe the, that particular investment performed, but it didn't perform under you know what that individual thought it would so they sell it and they buy something else yeah, and they sell that when they buy something else they sell that when they buy something else or they hear the water cooler you know tips of the day the uber drivers giving them investment advice so it's um this but but, but i get it i understand because we all want to make money right and we don't want to lose any money to make it so we think that we can game the system that there's a better way to do this where we can limit our losses and maximize our gains by trying to find the best investment for us. Right. And you make a good point about the the more educated we are, the more likely are likely we are to kind of fall into this trap. Because, oh, did that fall? Did, did that hit home for you? Yeah, because I'm <laughs> because really you're educated. So yeah, so educated. I've lost a lot of money. <laughs> Or I'm not very smart, and I made a lot. I'm not sure which one you're thinking of with me, but at any rate, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> what I was going to say, I actually was listening to another podcast. I listened to other podcasts of other financial people, and the guy was talking about uh, he was home in his backyard, and the guy next door, there's a fence, and the guy has a pool, and, and you know they, they can hear each other, but they can't necessarily see each other with the bushes and the fence. And he was listening to this guy talking to the, his pool cleaner. And he said, boy, the pool cleaner and this guy, they were obviously the smartest investors in the world because they 
talked up a storm they knew ex- I mean they felt like they knew exactly what they're talking about which is what I'm going to tell to you which is if you hear things it's kind of that water cooler mentality you know what it's uh it's not necessarily the pool cleaner that you want to take your advice from you. so the pool cleaner was telling the guy how, how to invest they were both they were both they they knew more than anybody else now they're not in the industry they're probably not even very good investors what's the name of the podcast because i think that probably told the story a little bit better <laughs> it, was, it was hansen mclean it was if you wanna, i'm gonna go if you wanna, i gotta listen to that one because see, this see. one was just i'm like what the what the pool cleaner is doing what with who <laughs> there's bushes <laughs> Yeah, and they were trimmed a certain way, and uh, then the gardener came over and he got into it. <laughs> he got into it, <laughs> and then the grandchild came in and said, "No, I'd buy apple." So and so he was eavesdropping on the pool cleaner. Yeah, I <laughs> got it. I got it. The point, though, I'll, I'll try to make it. The point. The point was, everyone seems to have a, a strong opinion on what they should do. Of course, do. yeah. Yes, right? And when they say with conviction, you have to believe it. Of course, right? <laughs> it's like, oh my goodness. So I actually. Um, I, I found out where Scott Hansen lives, and so I'm going to go over go, there and go <laughs> talk to the pool cleaner. <laughs> that's, that's the takeaway yes. here. <laughs> Maybe we can hire him to be so, our chief investment so, officer. <laughs> he lives in Sacramento, <laughs> driving up. Uh, I'm going to go to Colorado first, run right. back to Sacramento. Hopefully the guy's cleaning the pool. Hopefully. I could wait a week. Probably <laughs> yeah. maybe every two weeks. I may have to stake, at, stake it out for a couple weeks. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I gotta tell you, we got a show lined up for you today. I'll tell you that it's a much. show. It is gonna be a show. Uh, it is the weekend. It is Memorial Day weekend. Hopefully, you're out and about having fun with friends and family. Uh, when we get back, uh, the whole mantra of sell in May and go away. Should you do that? Well, we're almost hitting June. Yeah, it's, it's uh, too late. You missed it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's probably selling June, and <laughs> I can't think of anything off the cuff there. Um, all right, and then how about this presidential race? Should that influence your investment strategy? Um, I know a lot of you are probably freaking out and saying, oh my goodness, if this person gets in, what am I going to do? Should I get in the market? Should I get out of the market? Uh, so we can have a discussion around that. Yeah, and- I, got one, I got one coming up. Americans say this this is their top financial regret. Ooh, So we're going to figure that listening out. Listening to your money, <laughs> your wealth. <laughs> That uh, hour that I wasted. <laughs> yes, right. Oh, boy. All right. Hey, we got to take a break. We'll be back in a second. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. This is Your Money, Your Wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMB. Welcome back to the program. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Joe Anderson, Big Al. Happy Memorial Day weekend. Go to purefinancial.com if you want more information about our firm. And here's an interesting statistic I got from Market Watch here. Um, since 1950, a 60-40 bond portfolio, um, and if you just invested in the indexes, okay. Right? So, you know, just fully diversified 60-40 portfolio. Let's okay. say, all right. All right? Um, hasn't had a loss in a five-year period. Did you know that? I did not know that. So over a five-year period, it all recovered. On so a in, in other words, period. any five-year period. Any over... five-year period, and then they did a rolling twenty-year period since 1950. The worst total return yeah. for a 60-40 portfolio was 6.4 percent. Really? Okay. Not bad. Not bad. So you take a look. You have to take a look, of course, over over the long term. Right. And I think just to kind of piggyback on that um, segment. <laughs> that we went through last the, the just a few, few minutes ago. Is that I thought you wanted to you forget gotta that. You got to look at the long term. 
So, but but the problem is, is that hey, I'm retiring, right? I'm retiring next year. I don't have time. Right. But you do have time, right? It's crazy. You have another thirty years. Yeah, and I think that's what a lot of people don't realize. You retire at, let's say you retire at 60. I mean, you may live till 90 or 95. Easily, I think. Yeah, I mean, especially these days with modern medicine advances and people are eating better and staying more healthy. Right. Now, if you're one of those that eats a lot of bacon and, you know. Well, bacon's good. (laughs) (laughs) Depends what study you look at, I guess. But bacon, you can't eat a lot of bacon? No, not carcinogenic. Oh, wow. And fat. Well, did I blow your whole the, diet? The, the whole fat diet, <laughs> right? It just they told me to eat a lot of bacon. Got it. Yeah, yeah. that's a new. You need a new doctor, new no. nutritionist. <sighs> it's supposed to have uh, eighty to ninety percent of what you eat is supposed to be a green vegetable. No, oh, whatever. <laughs> that's boring. It is boring. <laughs> yes, very. Um, all right, hey, we're talking about things that you can't control, and the, one of them is the president election. We cannot control. Uh, who? Well, I guess our vote can, but one vote. I mean, I suppose people tout about, yeah. hey, your one vote could be the turning point. Right. But should you change your whole investment philosophy? Because November's right around the corner. We're going to figure some stuff out. And what do you think, there, Al? Should I get out? Should I wait to see what happens? Well, we would uh, tell you uh, that the presidential presidential election historically there's there's not much rhyme or reason, uh, and you should probably figure out what kind of investment you should be in, and stick to it whether you know through the election period. So that's what I'm going to say. What does your little article well, say? Well, no. What do you think? Um, with um, Bobby Gavari and I went through um, a huge study. And they took a look at rolling periods after rolling periods of okay. who was elected, not elected, and what did the yeah. stock market do and everything else. So do you think the stock market performs better or worse if there is – okay, well, let's say if a, if a Democrat gets um, in, in the elected office. in office. Yeah, like the following year. Well, let's say a, a Democrat gets elected this year, okay. right? And I'm not predicting anything. But if you look at past, yes. you got a Democrat well, in office. Do you think the market goes up or down? Uh, it goes up. Republican, do you think that the market goes more up or more down than when a Democrat was yeah, in? I think I've already seen that. It, goes, it doesn't go up as much. Right. Well, it's funny. Yeah. Because when a, re- when a Democrat is in office, according to certain studies. Sure. Right? Yeah. We're not saying we're Democrat or Republican. We're not getting political here. But I think a lot of times people say, man, if this person gets into office, I, oh, it, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to sit into cash and I'm just going to buy gold or do whatever because everything's going to go to hell in a handbasket. Right. Right? And I think everyone has these same emotions every single election year right sure. because it seems to me no one really likes anyone to get into office every single year well whoever gets elected at least half the people think that was a bad choice right yeah. at least half uh, yeah sometimes more usually more <laughs> but then how do they get elected i don't know that's well, another because... story that's another show <laughs> because the, the independents and people that didn't vote so how about that well, there you go but so it, here's the deal is that all right the markets don't like uncertainty and I saw this study recently. It was an article that was written, and I'm not saying that this is what's going to happen, but they said, all right, well, here, if a Democrat gets elected, let's say if, if Hillary Clinton is the the nominee, right, and so she gets elected president, um, then it's basically Obama um, uh, uh, administration part three. Yeah. So wow. a lot of different things wouldn't necessarily change, if you will, right? Because it would kind of be the status quo, so the market wouldn't necessarily jumble as much. It wouldn't be as volatile as 
we get through the election. Right. If Trump gets in, I think there would be more volatility because, well, you know, he's kind of a wild card okay. in the sense. So it sounds like you're predicting. I'm not predicting anything. I'm just re- referring back to what this individual said. And I it, it made sense to me because sure. we don't know who's going to get elected. And so be, be, prior to any, it's a 50-50 shot. It's going to be either, you know, a Republican or Democrat at this point. <laughs> we think. <laughs> yes, we don't know. We don't know. But I guess the point is this, is that you got to look at the long term. Right? You've got to take a look and say, all right, well, here, I have to invest. I have to achieve a certain rate of return to make sure that I can focus on my specific goals. And if you can make it on your goals on 2%, because that's what the 10-year treasury is, it's under 2%, right? It's like, okay, well, then here, buy the treasury and then take your 2% risk-free and you're good. But that's not the case. Most of us need some sort of risk. We need a 5%, 6% rate of return. And so what does that mean? You have to be in equities. You have to buy real estate. You have to be um, investing internationally. You probably have have, um, some emerging markets in in a globally diversified portfolio. The case is that you need, let's say, 6%. You're not going to be able to do it sitting in cash. And if you sit in cash and wait for the election to go over, you could miss a huge bull run. Or you could get lucky and say, you know what, I was smart because now the big bears come out. We just don't know what's going to happen. So you have to be a defense mode and look at, all right, well, here, what is the probabilities of me achieving success with the investment strategy that I have right now over the next 30 years? Yeah, well, that's right. And, And so I guess when you, history, here's what history tells us, is there's not much rhyme or reason in presidential election years or any year for that matter. I mean, people, Joe, people are always trying to have correlations to certain events and, and, yeah, I'll tell you what, case in point, last presidential election. So we had, uh, if I if I got my memory right, I think that was the year where the U.S. got downgraded. So we had that issue. And then it was like, man, we might, Obama might win again. We might have a Democrat for another four years. And guess what? The fiscal cliff, that was coming up. And uh, so we're going to have much higher taxes. And if there was ever a case for fear, I guess, uh, it might have been that. But you know what happened? The, uh, the downgrade didn't really affect things that much. We averted the fiscal cliff by changing the tax law, and Obama got elected, and the stock market went way up. So there you go. It's just awful hard to predict these things. And so I would here's my advice is the presidential election year or not, it doesn't matter. You need to just get the right investments for you and, and stay invested, rebalance when you need to. But uh, that's the bigger point here. And whether you sell in May and, and buy back in, what is it, November? You know what? We talked to Larry Sweater about that. There is some evidence that says May through November is it's not quite as good of a right. But what's investing. the alternative? Is what you right? have to consider. It's what he said. I mean, it's it's like a percent or two lower than the rest of the year. Why is that? It could be random. It could be significant. Who knows? But the point is, it's still the better investment compared to anything else. So what's the alternative? Is right. Yeah. So what is the alternative? Um, so if you sit in cash and let's say that your globally diversified portfolio did. Three percent versus the cash is paying you point three. Right. Right. Yeah. Or it did four instead of six, or it did seven instead of ten. Whatever. But then right? someone saying, "Well, how about if it does negative twenty, and then I'm sitting in cash? I did good. Well, yeah. Of course. But yeah. then when are you going to get back in? Yeah, that's the problem, right? That's a problem. And if your entire portfolio was down 20, 30, 40 percent, and I hate this. I hear these people too when they're like, "Oh, you're, you're going to just remember 2008 when you lost fifty percent." Well, those individuals then had to have 100% of their assets in the S&P 500. Right. How many portfolios do we look at? Thousands. Lots. And maybe on the count of one hand, I've seen one person come in that has 100% of their assets in the S&P 500. (laughs) 
You know, most people have a little bit of diversification. It's probably not as sound as it should be, but that fear tactic drives me nuts. Oh, when the market goes down 50%, are you going to be one of those persons? Well, here, you need to buy this particular product or come work with me because I can save you from that. No one could save us from a 50% drop. Right. You know what I mean? So if you got lucky enough to time it and get in the cash perfectly, great. But when do you get back in? Because I'll tell you what, Al and I were on the radio show in 2008, 2009, 2010, and people would call in and still think that, oh, we're in for a W, a double dip recession, right? Because they wouldn't yes. believe that we're still, you know, that the bull market was here. Yeah. It, it was several years after the crash of 08 that people finally got back into the overall market and they missed probably a 100% run. Yeah, it was, uh, I think I was reading that this has been the second longest bull run in the history of the stock market. And the markets will crash. I can guarantee you we, that. We know that. Then, then you have to ask yourselves, what are you going to do? Right? right? Are you going to get into cash or are you going to be smart about it to make sure that you have the right portfolio now before it happens? All right, we got to take another break. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Now back to Your Money, Your Wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMB. Hey, welcome back to the program. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Joe Anderson, Big Al Clopine. Happy Memorial Day weekend, everyone. So, Joe. Yeah. Americans say this is their top financial regret well since it is memorial day and that, we are american yes. let's see what the top thousand, regret is thousand americans were surveyed all right study from bank rate bank what, rate what do you think what do you think the number one financial regret is not saving enough you are correct oh my god not saving enough in retirement <laughs> wow what a tease <laughs> you you ruined the whole thing chosen by 18 percent. but do you know what the second most common um, all right, so number one is they didn't save enough. Number yes. two is they did not seek professional advice. Yeah, that's, I don't think that made the list. Oh. But they well, didn't spend but, enough time with their family. This is financial oh. regret. Uh, they, How about this? Not saving enough for emergencies. Well, it's the same. No, it isn't. Not saving enough. Yeah, but um, there's a difference between saving for retirement oh, okay. so and they, saving for emergencies. All right, here's the top five regrets. I didn't save enough for re- my retirement. I didn't save enough for my cash reserves. I didn't save enough for college education. I didn't one? save enough to buy home goods because I put it on my credit card. I, what? Number three, too much credit card debt. Oh, see? I didn't save enough money to pay off my credit cards. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and how about this? 17% said no regrets at all. Well, I would do it the same way. They're lying. So there you go. Okay. Are we done with the segment now? <laughs> yeah. Here, all right. I got a couple of uh, quick things here. Okay. Uh, take control of the six biggest retirement expenses. Okay. All right. So when you take a look at retirement, as if, you, if you've been a listener to the show, we talk about all sorts of different statistics when it comes to the lack of uh, retirement savings uh, that a lot of individuals have. So you got to get um, creative when you go into retirement. And one of the biggest things that you can do, right, is reduce your expenses. If you don't have enough money to maintain your lifestyle, well, something's got to get. Right, you're gonna to have to continue to work, save a lot more money, or reduce your spending, or you do a combination of all three. Number one here on the list is that you can control housing because housing still remains one of the largest expenses, Alan. Yeah, according to this article on US News, they're saying that people over age 50 spend an average of 40 to 45 percent of their household budget on housing and housing related items. So it's not just the mortgage payments and property taxes, but it's your insurance and utilities. It's your home furnishings, gardening, other yard expenses. It's fix-up. It's a new roof. It's all, all that stuff. Is uh, it's pretty expensive. And when you think about 
retirees. Now, those that, of course, listen to our show, they've, they've got plenty of savings, and so they've got a bigger budget. But many don't have a big budget, and so the housing, as a percentage of what's available to spend in retirement, becomes a much bigger number. Right. And, you know, I lived in uh, the condo world forever, and I was like, man, this HOA it stinks, man. It's so expensive. Yeah. And now you got your house. Then like, you got your house, and then you're like, wow. Maybe that was a better deal. <laughs> you know, the HOA is dirt cheap. <laughs> right? Because you got, you all, pay for all, this you stuff, got right? all sorts of, you know, my yeah, gardener's do. MIA. I got weeds going, you know. Yeah. Um, healthcare is another thing. True. Um, we're doing a webinar on Medicare coming up here uh, with Dr. Katie. Oh, yeah. And so we're going to dive in deep into Medicare. She's been on the show a couple of times, and she's really making a name for herself as one of the nation-leading experts um, when it comes to uh, Medicare. And I think a lot of people are overspending in some areas when it comes to their insurance because they don't necessarily know what they should have. Should I have a Medigap policy or not? Should I go to you know Medicare Part C, Part D? Oh, very, well, yeah. it's very confusing. Oh, it's crazy, you know. And it's like, okay, well, here my wife is um, or my husband is still on, is still working, so I'm still on their coverage. Do I have to file for Medicare? And then I'm, am I doubled overlapping? So there's a lot of different things that you want to know. We could spend two hours talking about it and bore the heck out of you. Uh, but what we decided to do instead is uh, do a webinar on it. Um, so you can watch it um, in the luxury of your own home. Go to purefinancial.com. Uh, just go to the Learning Center there, and you can sign up for that webinar. Uh, the third one on this list here um, is big taxes, right? Because we talk a lot about taxes. And I think when you look at your overall retirement, what are you doing right now to save money or set yourself up where you can potentially reduce your taxes? Yeah, because the problem is for many, the bulk of their savings is in their retirement accounts, their IRA, their 401k, their 403b. So and, I got an email, right? Yeah. And he's like, Joe, hey, you know, love you and Big Al, but this Roth conversion makes no sense. Makes no sense. I don't get it. He did say we were smart there. Yes, he goes. Well, I'm a. What, what did he say? Yeah, so I'm an advanced, in, advanced investor. Advanced investor. Yeah, but you guys are sharp. <laughs> I was like, all right, thank so, you. So it caused us to read the whole thing. But yeah, start, yes. with a, start with a compliment. He was good. Yeah. <laughs> right? But but I I understood where he was coming from. He's like, okay, well, you know, um, if I have a hundred thousand dollars and I convert it, and you know, he's using the different um, rates. It's like, well, if I convert it. $100,000, I have to pay 30% in tax. Okay, now I have $70,000. If I don't, I still have the 70000 right? So he, if you look at it in a silo with just kind of some simple assumptions, yeah, it, it, it basically kind of breaks even. But yeah. that's nowhere near from the truth if you put it together with different strategies. Yeah, well, and the reason is because you're, if you assume that you're always going to be in the same tax bracket, right? If you assume tax rates never go up, if you assume that you never have a need for cash where you have to pull it out of your IRA, causing you to co go into a higher tax bracket, if you assume your spouse is never going to pass away because that's if, they, if he or she does, you're going to be a single taxpayer with different tax brackets. If you assume that your kids, right, their tax bracket, you know, they may be higher than yours and all kinds. Of, there's a lot of factors that go into this. But Joe, I would say most importantly is this. When you're in retirement and you have the ability to control your taxes by deciding how much should I take out of my IRA? How much should I take out of my non-retirement?
retirement accounts and how much should I take out of my Roth IRA, then on a year-by-year basis, I can control taxes no matter what they become or what they change to. I can always control the at least the upper level of my income by having that be either tax-free or capital gain. But I have to have some diversification in taxes because, gosh, we talk about investments, be diversified with investments, but you also have to be diversified in your taxes as well. Right. Because if you look at it, and let me give this example again, is that let's say you have $100,000, right? And you're like, okay, well, here, if that was in an IRA, okay, I got a deduction for that. So the full $100,000 totally invested. And then when I pull the money out, I'll have to pay the taxes on the back end. And let's assume a 30% tax rate. Right. So when I pull the money out, I have to pay 30% on the 100. So I net out 70,000 bucks. Or I can say, let's convert the $100,000 into a Roth, okay? So now I have $100,000 in the Roth, but wait, I got to pay $30,000 in taxes to do it, or 30% in taxes if we assume the same tax rate. Sure. So I have $70,000 in the Roth. $70,000, $70,000, same, same. If you just look at the numbers like that. But what I think they're missing is that that $70,000 now is in a Roth IRA, and every future dollar is going to grow tax-free. And as that account grows, right, so all of that percent gain is going to be yours tax-free. And as that account builds, right, that means more dollars are in that overall account. And if you want to clear out the overall account with a lot larger dollar value, right, what's going to happen to your tax bracket? It's going to blow up the tax bracket because the tax brackets are marginal. A little bit is taxed at 10, 15, 25, 28, and so on. Right. So the larger the balance, the more tax potentially you're going to pay, depending on what your distribution strategy is. Yeah, and Joe, the more money that you have in your IRA or 401k causes a higher required minimum distribution. And guess what? That distribution generally increases year by year because you're not you're not you're you're don't have a shorter life expectancy and i think the the basic miss from a lot of people is they don't believe they have any control over paying their taxes but it's not true cuz in retirement you have more control over how much you pay in taxes than any other time in your life but you may not be getting this advice from your accountant cuz your accountant generally looks at one year at a time and you're probably not getting this advice from your advisor because they're looking at investments so and it may not be their expertise the only way to lower your taxes is by having a forward-looking, tax-efficient strategy. All right, we got to take a break. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. We'll be back in just a second. This is Your Money, Your Wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMB. Hey, welcome back to the program. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Joe Anderson, Big Al Clopine. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, go to our um, podcast, iTunes, Your Money, Your Wealth there. Um, iTunes, Your Money, Your Wealth. Or go to purefinancial.com to get a little bit more information. So uh, we talked a little bit about this earlier, Big Al, but the sell in May and go away, um, it's a pretty popular phrase. We are in May. Uh, but the third quarter of the year does tend to have the greatest volatility and lowest returns over time. But staying invested um, is the smartest approach. This is by the street. So get this. Since 1980, the S&P 500 has had a total cumulative return, assuming the reinvestment of dividends, of 4,958, or roughly 11.5% annualized. Okay. By the way of comparison, the same 1,000 invested on 1-1-1980, but moving assets to cash on May 1st of each year, and then re-entering the market on November 1st, your annualized return would have been about 85 
So that's 3% annual difference. Compounded means that your total return would be less than one-third of the simple buy and hold with dividend reinvestments. Instead of the $1,000 investments growing to $50,583, it would have grown to only $16,755. So the clear catalyst behind the significant outperformance is the reinvestment of dividends, as well as the fact that the month of May has historically been kind to investors. So when you look at dividends, since 1980, May has brought positive returns to the S&P 500 nearly 80% of the time. So 20% of the time, it stinks. Yeah. Right? Dividend reinvestment accounts for nearly 40% of the total return of the S&P 500. Really? Okay. 40%. So look at a couple of different products that are out there. Um, that and I want you to be clear about what some individuals, and especially on this radio station, um, you know, across the country, uh, talk about certain products that you can get stock market returns with zero risk. Well, with those products, there's no dividends, and if the S and P 500, right, 40 percent of the overall total return of the S and P 500 is dividends, you don't get that 40 percent. So, all right, so. That's 40% cut. Plus, there's participation rates in some of those different products. And I think people hear it all the time. Hey, how would you like stock market returns with no downside risk? You know, hey, we could be facing another 2008 right around the corner with all this quantitative easing, and then this big bubble is going to burst and everything else. Hey, that truly could happen, right? But is it to go into a product to lock yourself up for another 18 years? I don't know if that's the right answer. So you have to be a little bit smarter and say, okay, well, how does this product actually work if you really think that you can get stock market returns with no downside risk? They don't include dividends. There's a participation rate, and there's different point-to-points that you have to consider when you are considering a product that sounds really good on the surface, um, but the, the delivery of it may not be as good as you may as um, anticipated. So, yeah, so so be careful. Buyer beware. Hey, Joe, we, I got an email from... Um Actually, one of our advisors, uh, a, a client uh, or prospective client emailed, are you familiar with a company called, and I won't say the name, just company, heard a radio program, got interested, attended a seminar by them. They're touting a strategy to use a max-funded, indexed universal life policy to build tax-free income in retirement, taking advantage of TEFRA 7702, DEFRA 72E, TAMRA 101A, um, Let's see. Their strategy seems to offer an opportunity for growth without risk to principal. So we hear about those kinds of things. Sure, and I think, well, in the, I like how they go to the the tax code there because it's just basically saying that a life insurance contract is tax free. Right. It, 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 you know, if you look at life insurance itself, it's a it's a powerful vehicle from a tax perspective because that death benefit is one hundred percent tax free to the heirs. So that's a really good thing. Yes. Right? Um, building up cash value in an overall life insurance policy is another thing entirely, right? And especially with an indexed UL policy, because there's different costs and fees involved with that. Same with that indexed UL policy, they don't get dividends, right? So 40% of the overall return of the market you don't get, plus whatever participation rates and everything else. But what they're saying is true to some degree. 
Yeah, I you guess. put money into the policy. You let it grow tax deferred. You're not going to pay any taxes when you pull the money out, and you're in this index type product where there's no downside volatility. You will not lose any money because it's a fixed rate, and we're going to try to get you a higher rate of return than maybe what the fixed, you know, um, ledger is going to pay out within the life insurance company. Yeah, because the idea with a life insurance contract is you can, in a sense, you can overfund it. You can put more money than what the, is required for the life insurance. And so it builds up a cash value. Well, no, you can't necessarily do that because there's a there's a corridor that there's well, got to be some well, level of, of insurance, well, right? What, what I, I, well, so let me clarify. You can't go hog wild. I mean, there's there's limits to how much you can do, but you can put a certain amount over and above the life insurance cost. And, sure, and, okay, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that allows you to invest inside this policy. And and the the IRS says that it's tax deferred. And furthermore, if over time that investment per se inside the life insurance contract if it grows greater than the cost of insurance and other costs inside the this product then you've got a, a a value an investment value that you're allowed to borrow against and that's that's where they get the tax-free part right, right? you can take a tax-free loan borrow against it there's issues if the product if the if the contract lapses you have to pay the taxes and all kinds right. of things so l- l- let's look at the concept though and I like the concept. I just hate the product and the strategy. Right. I, right. Right. Because there's a there's a lot better way to do it. And I'm going to explain it in a, a minute thirty. Okay. Right? Is that here? Because if if I'm going to fund something like this to say, hey, I'm going to put cash into a product that's going to grow tax deferred for me, right? And then potentially I can pull it out tax free. Yeah. The what I'm funding those dollars with is what after tax dollars, correct? That's correct. And so let's say they want me to put a whole bunch of money into this overall contract, such as. Ten thousand a year, twenty thousand a year, fifty thousand, a hundred thousand, one lumps, whatever, and it grows tax deferred. Okay, so that's after tax dollars that has to go into that overall product. Okay, and then now you're in this big shell of insurance, so you have a cost of insurance that you have to pay for. There's fees and costs for the administration of the overall policy, right? Uh, you know, if you die, great because now you have this big fat life insurance policy. But you don't buy. I mean, they're not selling it for you to 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 die. They're using it as a way for you to fund your retirement income tax free, right? That's the pitch. So why don't you do this? You have an IRA, you have a 401k, right? You probably have dollars in there that was pre-tax that's never been taxed. Why don't you convert those dollars into a Roth IRA and, and beat the, kill out the middleman, right? So you don't have all the fees and costs and everything else from this big life insurance, right? It, it's going to run the same, but now it's in a Roth IRA that will forever grow tax-free, Right with half the cost. Yes, I totally agree. So, so that that really uh, and and many 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 advisors, including ourselves, will tell you, for your life insurance part, get term insurance. Unless and, and, you have a special needs child. Oh sure, yeah. You I know, mean, there's, so there's room for permanent uh, of insurance. Course, of course. I don't want to label. I don't want to give advice. Okay. There's pr- there's pros and cons to each, I guess. Right. All right. Fair enough. But I think we would lean more we towards. Would lean, we would lean towards that in most cases. Yes. Would, would you agree with that? I would agree with that. Yeah. And then do your investing separate from sure. your from your life insurance. Now you're right. Some permanent policies, charitable remainder trust, or special needs kids, or things of that sort. Sure, absolutely. There's a place for it. Right. So you just want to make sure that you take a look at the pros and cons of each of anything that someone's going to position to you. Right. But the problem I think is where you're alluding to is that all right. Well, here this solution sounds really good. 
right? Because I don't want to pay taxes. I want to grow the money tax deferred. And then they kind of And I got no downside risk. And and I have no downside risk, right? I can invest it. I don't have to lose anything. Well, I I mean, I think hopefully our listeners are a little bit smarter that there there is no holy grail of investing. Risk and expected return are related. And the best way to do that, in our opinion, is to say, all right, well, if you want tax-free growth, go with the Roth IRA. You can go life insurance, sure. But I'm telling you, you compared that strategy to a strategy I come up with that's saying, all right, well, here, you're going to pay tax to get out of this retirement account. You paid tax already to fund this life insurance, so that's going to be the same, same. Now the money's sitting into a Roth IRA in a globally diversified portfolio, in a low-cost portfolio, versus embedded in fees and cost and infested with all this other crap inside this insurance contract. Give me 10 years, I'll tell you who's going to win, right? But my strategy, that's not full of commissions. That strategy is full of commissions, right? Full of a lot of hidden costs. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) So, I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, there's a lot of things that sound pretty good. Just do your due diligence. Just trying to figure out, all right, does it make sense for me? Is it appropriate for me? And if you want our help, if you want a second opinion, we'd be more than happy to give it to you. Go to purefinancial.com. We've got to take another break. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. 